Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. I'm your host, Madam Chris, handling the show solo while my co-host Amy is on a self-care sabbatical. But I am still burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Before I jump into the Hawkeye finale, I want to say a few things. First, I hope all who celebrate had a wonderful Christmas. I got to steal my adorable five-month-old nephew from his mom for a day, then enjoyed the best part about being an aunt, giving him back to go home. Second, I just have to shout out to the world my gratitude for Spider-Man No Way Home right now. To the audience I was with opening night, you guys were amazing, really amazing. I'll be gleefully singing Spidey's praises in a First Thoughts episode next week, but I wanted you all to know now how much I loved it, because I did not love the Hawkeye finale. When Amy and I first started the podcast, we made a promise to ourselves and to you guys. We agreed that we would never become shills for Marvel, that we would always be honest about our feelings on any content, even if it hurt. It can be a tough balance, especially for me since... In case you haven't noticed, I'm a little more emotional than my even-keeled co-host. So I'm doing my best to channel her today and temper my feelings about the finale. And by the way, Amy wants to thank everyone for all the well wishes and support you guys have sent. With all that said, let's talk Hawkeye. I feel like I watched two different shows over the last five weeks. Episodes one through three were one show, And episodes four through six were another show with a different tone and purpose. It may be partly because, unlike WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and Loki, this show had multiple directors. That can be problematic for a series that's essentially a very long movie. In the case of Hawkeye, I don't think everyone was on the same page. And that goes for the writers, too. This led to a number of overarching problems and culminated with a finale that left me deflated. So let's get into it. Hawkeye suffers from what I call Thor the Dark World Syndrome. It couldn't decide whether it wanted to be light and funny or emotional and serious. There is a way to have an emotional and serious show that has light and funny elements in it. Just go watch Daredevil. But Hawkeye never found this balance. For instance, It's very hard to believe that Kate's in real danger when one of the tracksuits stops fighting just long enough to thank her for relationship counseling. No worries there, everybody. Adam Levine saved the day. And I don't feel real stakes when Sword Boy is out on the sidewalk challenging everyone to a duel and having a pissing contest with a bratty little Frasier. And don't get me started on Hawkeye's version of The Warriors 3. If I never hear the word LARPing again, I'll die happy. Okay, so I have to address the plethora of plot holes and inconsistencies in this episode, as well as the points that came to nothing. First off, if someone can explain to me how Yelena made what looked like a documentary film out of Eleanor and Fisk's meeting, I'm all ears. More on Yelena, my saving grace in this finale, in a bit. I was so excited when this episode opened with Vincent D'Onofrio, back after three years, after so many people had given up on seeing Mr. Fisk again. But that excitement died pretty quickly, because this is not the Wilson Fisk we've come to know. And I'm not talking about his super strength. That's fine. 
I can wait to find out if he took the super serum or perhaps ate a piece of radioactive Zupa. My issue is that Mr. Fisk seems to have lost quite a few brain cells in the last five years. For the sake of argument, I'll give the writers a handicap here. Let's set aside the fact that Wilson Fisk would never have put himself in a position to be so easily blackmailed by Eleanor Bishop, an underling. If you take that out of the equation, you still have to ask yourself, why would Fisk let Eleanor leave that meeting if he was just going to kill her anyway? Just ask Ben Urich or our dear Russian friend, Anatoly. Oh, wait, they can't talk anymore, especially Anatoly, since he doesn't have a head. Instead of killing Eleanor right then and there, Fisk decides on a super risky and splashy assassination that night? And the same goes for Kate and Clint. Infiltrating the Bishop holiday party made absolutely no sense. Kate wanted her mother safe from Fisk. Okay, that's fine. Here's a crazy idea. Maybe, I don't know, just go to her penthouse and take her somewhere safe, like right away? I get the sense that this script was getting fiddled with for a while. The writers realized too late that they didn't have enough screen time to tie all these plot points together in a way that made any sense for the story and the characters. Everything revolved around that Rockefeller Center debacle, and in the end, they didn't care how we got there. Now back to Eleanor and Fisk's meeting. We had all this intrigue and mystery leading to the finale. Was Derek Bishop actually into some fishy business? How does Armand Duquesne factor in? What has Eleanor been up to behind the scenes? What's the deal with Sloan Limited? So much buildup, and none of it mattered. Five episodes worth of plot is just glossed over, and we're left with no idea of what Fisk's current operations in the city even are let alone what Eleanor's part in all this is. We don't even know what the tracksuits actually do, aside from hanging out in their clubhouse. Has anyone else wondered what that place must smell like? God, the Axe body spray alone. And Fisk in this episode also had a very fish-out-of-water feeling, and not in a good way. They took a character from a dark, gritty show that's much tighter and more grounded in reality and threw him into this finale that's full of silliness and plot holes. It's a major disconnect, and I can't help but feel they did the kingpin dirty. Nor can I understand why he looked like a Hawaiian tourist. On top of everything else, we don't know why Eleanor hired Yelena to kill Clint. If it was to get him out of Kate's life, that doesn't hold up, because there just wasn't enough time. Kate's only known him for a week, and Eleanor didn't know Kate was gallivanting around with him till a few days ago. The way all of this was rushed, you'd never know the show was made by a studio that took 22 films to build up to a finale and tie together countless plot points. And compared to the care that was clearly taken with WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and Loki, it feels like Hawkeye was the red-headed stepchild of the group. All right, let's brighten things up for a minute here and discuss my saving grace, Florence Pugh. I just don't have enough praise for her. 
she is one of the most charismatic people I've ever seen on television. She is Loki level likable. And you guys know that I don't say that lightly. And the chemistry between Pew and Haley Steinfeld is off the charts. That elevator scene was genius. When Kate pulled a Buddy the Elf and pressed all those buttons, I choked on a damn chickpea. Oh, and I would like to thank a Russian girl named Anna Fainzelberg for teaching me what suka meant in seventh grade. It came in handy for the show. Honestly, I would have preferred more Kate Yelena time in this series than Kate Clint time. And Pew's performance at the end, grieving for her sister, accepting the truth, was excellent. But a great actor can only do so much when the script and the plot aren't supporting her. That showdown with Clint should have had a lot more emotional heft, but the writers cut the legs out from Jeremy Renner when it comes to all the trauma Clint was dealing with. In those first three episodes, it looked like they were going to deal with it in a real way, much like Kari Skoglin and Malcolm Spellman did with Bucky Barnes. But all of Clint's turmoil ended up getting glossed over and became more of an afterthought in a finale that was full of action but lacking in depth. It's the same as Rockefeller Center. All that mattered was the end result, not how we got there. Clint recognizes Kate as his partner, but it didn't feel earned. There was too much fumbling with the tone of their relationship and Clint's inner turmoil. Seeing them as partners was like seeing a gymnast execute a vault, only the form is shaky and they stumble on the landing. And it's the same for the ending. Early in the show, Renner and the writers did a great job handling Clint's grief and how Natasha's death was reverberating for him as a husband and a father. That little mop at Nate was really tugging at my heartstrings. I had every faith that Clint and his kids would have a Christmas reunion worthy of the McAllisters, especially since the tracksuits weren't any brighter than Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern. But judging by the Barton kids, you'd have thought Dad just came home from a trip to the mall. My dogs are more excited to see me when I come back upstairs after throwing in a load of laundry. On the bright side, though, at least Lucky will get real dog food from now on. And no dry kibble, Barton. It's pet fresh for that sweet baby, or I am hiring Yelena myself to take your ass out. Now, moving on to someone I have yet to mention, let's get into Maya Lopez. I actually want to correct something I said back in our commentary on episodes one and two. When this show first started, there was very little information available about Alakwa Cox. The bits and pieces I managed to find said she was a teenager, but she is actually 24 years old, which means Amy's in the clear. Episode 5 ended with Maya clearly knowing that Kazi was the informant who helped facilitate her father's murder. So I was very confused as to why she wanted to run away with him in the finale. Seriously, was anyone proofreading this script? I also wish we'd gotten more backstory on their relationship, spent more time with them as friends, because then his death would have had more emotional resonance for Maya's arc. Daredevil fans, think back to season one when Foggy found out the truth. Matt's betrayal cut so deeply because we cared about their relationship, and they enriched it further with flashbacks. Both Maya and Alakwa Cox deserved more here. And you know what? So did Mr. Cumberbloom, whose actual name is Froffy, by the way. He did a solid job on the show, too. 
And let's just address the elephant in the room now. Did Maya actually kill Fisk? I won't be happy either way because they bungled the character so badly. But at the same time, it would be a travesty to bring back D'Onofrio for a single episode. And the important thing to know here is that the Echo comic series begins with Maya Lopez shooting Wilson Fisk point blank in the face, and he survives it. So we'll have to wait and see what happens in that upcoming Disney Plus series. Now we return to the ladies' bishop. I've said it before, Haley Steinfeld is a fantastic actress. There's a reason she was nominated for an Oscar at 14 years old. Just go watch True Grit. But she was absolutely wasted in the finale. But she was absolutely wasted in this finale, right alongside Vera Farmiga. Believe me, I know from experience that not all mothers and daughters are close or overly emotional with each other. Nonetheless, I need a little more than two minutes of fairly polite confrontation when someone has their mother arrested for murder on Christmas Eve. And the next day, Kate's all smiles as if nothing happened. No angst about her father either, after finding out he was in league with Fisk too. All forgotten, much to the show's detriment. On top of that, tell me, put parallel universes this, wherein a rich, powerful white woman gets cuffed for murder on the street with little more than a she did it. Meanwhile, Grills is talking his way out of aiding and abetting mass destruction. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe this isn't Earth-616. That would explain Kingpin's apparent lobotomy, too. And speaking of arrests, pray tell. Where were the police when a massive cultural landmark was being destroyed by two vigilantes and an endless clown car of tracksuits? This is Midtown Manhattan at Christmas, folks. You can't throw a rock without hitting a cop. Now, I know some people will say, oh, don't be a stickler, Krista. That's the kind of thing Marvel gets away with all the time. Except it's really not. See, the issue is that the first Hawkeye show, back in episodes one through three, introduced the cops. Remember that detective who really wanted to talk to Kate after the fire at her apartment? So it's hard to believe that after destroying Rockefeller Center, she and Clint wouldn't even be questioned, let alone arrested. Think back to the Falcon and the Winter Soldier finale. Yes, there was a huge showdown in New York there too, but Sam and Bucky had standing and the dynamics there were well executed so that it made a whole lot more sense. And the same goes for the movies. The Avengers were government sanctioned. And there's another reason I feel Kate Bishop and Haley Steinfeld got the short end of the stick. If you never watched Daredevil, you might look at Kate's showdown with Fisk as a very empowering moment for a female character. Look at her. This 22-year-old woman with no superpowers making the kingpin run for his life. She's incredible. But I just can't see it that way. What I see is an insult. What I see is writers deliberately handcuffing a strong male villain, because that was the only way this woman could believably get the best of him. And that's certainly not empowering. Tossing aside the super strength, Wilson Fisk is a genius. He never should have been in this situation with Kate. His actions made zero sense. What the writers did here reminded me of the end of Gladiator, when Commodus stabbed Maximus before they had their final showdown in the Colosseum. 
In that case, Maximus still won, but you get the idea. And last but not least, we come to the most persistent mystery on this show, the Rolex. Those of you who thought it belonged to Laura Barton were indeed correct. She was apparently Agent 19, possibly Mockingbird, we don't know. But when Clint gives it back to her, I felt like I did at the end of Fargo when I was yelling, aren't you going to tell us what Jerry needed the money for? In this case, I was yelling, well, what was the point of this? It's just a watch after all? It's tied to her identity how? There were a million less convoluted ways to tell us that Laura was an agent, which was clearly the goal. Despite my feelings, we live in a capitalist society, so I will use this as an opportunity to shamelessly plug our full commentary series on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Seasons 1-7, through available in our archive. Okay, so what can we expect for these characters moving forward? I don't have a clue, since, for some reason I cannot fathom, there were no credit scenes alluding to the future. I would love to see a Maya Daredevil team-up in the Echo series, which is totally plausible since it was announced that Matt Murdock will have a significant supporting role in She-Hulk. I will save my gushings about that for my Spidey episode next week. Yelena was left blowing in the wind, so she could go in a dozen different directions, but I desperately want more of her. As for Kate, I assume she's going to be part of the Young Avengers whenever that comes together. I feel disloyal saying this, but... If Clint Barton just retires to be a family man and we don't see him again, I'd be fine with it. That's not Jeremy Renner's fault. That's on the writers. And you know what? 50-year-old men really shouldn't be wearing pants that tight anyway. All right. Now that both Hawkeye and 2021 have come to an end, it's time for some shout-outs. With winter now officially upon us in the U.S., I can't help but think of our neighbors to the north, handling the cold way better than I do. So thanks to all our Canadian listeners for your continued support of the podcast. At Mondo V. Gaga, I really hope I'm saying that correctly. Turns out Eleanor didn't kill her husband after all. How did you feel about the lack of answers in her story? Bianca, well, Wilson Fisk definitely didn't send Maya to kill Mr. Murdoch, but do you think she'll be paying him a visit at some point? At Simply Snuffles, Considering there's a giant Iron Man statue in China, I think Marvel could definitely make that Avengers plaque happen in New York. They need to get the ball rolling on that. At Yennefer 2 I also loved Maya and hope the Echo series is stronger than Hawkeye. And I hope you're enjoying season two of The Witcher. I have some awareness of it, as my husband was watching it all week while I read my Kindle next to him, and that show is bonkers with a capital B. Thank you, everyone, for joining me today on Chris's Corner. I'll be back next week with my first impressions on Spider-Man No Way Home. I'm seeing it again after Christmas, not only to order my chaotic thoughts, but in hopes of riding this high just a little longer, because the wait for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness will be excruciating. And stick around, guys, because when Amy comes back, we will be covering Daredevil Season 2 now that Mr. Murdoch has triumphantly returned to the screen. In the meantime, if you want to share your thoughts on Spidey or Hawkeye, find me on Twitter and Instagram at Marvel Madams. If you have a minute today, please leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. It really helps us grow the show. Think of it as a Christmas present. 
And there's always more on our website, themarvelousmadams.com, where Infinity Stones are a girl's best friend.